can't communicate like that with your family. You just have to stuff it down. Keep everything copacetic. Wouldn't want to get uncomfortable, because this was totally comfortable. We carry these types of questions about how we relate to one another with us into every area of life, into our friendships, into our church relationships and spaces like this, into work alongside our colleagues and with our bosses. We want to make sure that we're projecting the image that we want to be projecting. We want to be able to put ourselves in position to receive a promotion. We want to be accepted. And we know from life experience and from things that we've observed culturally and personally that you have to play the game well if you're going to be accepted. You can't just come as you are. Church, we are in a desperate need of a DTR, which I didn't realize that this was very specific to my age bracket until a couple of months ago. So millennials, uh, or geriatric millennials like I think I am, uh, we say DTR to mean define the relationship. So a lot of times it's used in romantic relationships, like, are you guys like friends, dating, are you together? You need a DTR. We are in a constant need of a DTR. When we go into any room in our life, we are trying to navigate what it means. Who am I to you? And who are you to me? How do we relate to one another? And thankfully, church, the passages today are all about how we relate to one another. And Luke Jesus is, he's both giving and receiving. He's on his way to go and be hosted by one of the, the lead Pharisees. And then he turns to the guests when he notices how people are picking their seats around the table. And he speaks to the guests. He says, when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that your host may come to you and say, here, move up higher. Then you're going to be honored in front of everybody. Wouldn't that be nice? For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turns to the host and says, when you host a meal, don't invite your friends or your relatives or the rich neighbors in case they'll be able to invite you back and you'll be repaid. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the outsider, the left out, because you'll be blessed when they can't repay you, because you're going to be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. Now... This isn't Jesus' take on how to win friends and influence people. This isn't like a new strategy to download, right? Like, okay, so strategically, when I go to a party, i got to make sure I don't like act too eager to be around the host, right? I can't let people know that I actually do want to be around them. i got to play it cool. Then, maybe in front of everyone, they're going to welcome me closer, and I'll feel honored. That's not what's happening here. This isn't an etiquette lesson. Jesus is teaching us how we're meant to live in the kingdom. It's not advice for what to do, but he's showing us how to live by the Spirit. He's showing us how to make a place for others in God, in the life of the kingdom. We are to give up our place for them just as Christ gave up his place for us. Church, the kingdom of God is not musical chairs. You don't have to scramble or scheme to make sure that there's a seat for you. There is always enough room at the table of God. We belong to one another. In our Hebrews passage, I'm going to try not to get like too into the weeds about this, but one of our favorite theologians here at the table, Chris E.W. Green, has been doing a lot of work in Hebrews, and I've been listening to his podcast or reading things that he's written about it in the last couple of years, and it just continues to blow my mind 
the things that it's helping me to see more clearly, not just in Hebrews, but in other parts of Scripture. So Chris, he suggests that one way of reading Hebrews is as a theology of worship, as a reconfiguration of sacrifice around what Jesus has already done. So to summarize, we could talk about this for a couple of hours, our bent hearts, our warped desires allow us to actually use the sacrificial system as a tool to coerce God because we see God as being someone who needs to be coerced on our behalf, to be compelled to move towards us or to accept us. And through that lens, we see our sacrifice as something that earns God's favor or stirs up his presence in our midst. But we are free from the idea that God must be compelled or coerced to move on our behalf. Chris draws through lines from Hebrews to Cain and Abel. We see in Scripture that Cain and Abel are competing with their sacrifices to God. There's a competition between brothers here. And that competition breeds jealousy, contempt, hatred, and violence, death. But Jesus offers, what we're learning in Hebrews, Jesus offers what what Chris calls a non-sacrificial sacrifice. Jesus offers a gift. So through the work that Christ did, Cain and Abel and their sacrifices are reconciled to one another. Because there's no room for rivalry in the kingdom. The kingdom is defined and built on mutuality, belonging to one another. So the passage in Hebrew says, let mutual love continue. Show hospitality to strangers. Remember those in prison and those being tortured as though what's happening to them is what's happening to you. Let marriage be held in honor. Stay faithfully committed to one another. Keep your lives from the love of money. Now, None of these ideas are unfamiliar to any of us. We probably have either read this or heard this preached hundreds of times. But through the lens of seeing sacrifice as gift, as seeing us called into mutuality, we can see these same texts and receive them in a different light. This call to mutuality, to call, the call to welcome and care for strangers, is not something that we are going to just put upon ourselves as a way of calibrating shame or motivating ourselves to do good on God's behalf, but we are invited into the very life of God. This is what it means to be human, is to live for one another. What happens to you is what happens to me. It matters, not because I have to draw, like drum that up that I care for you. That is who we are as a people. And so even as we go through that list, remember those who are in prison are those being tortured. What's happening to them is what's happening to us. Marriage, we've heard a lot of teaching about marriage over the years. But this is not just a moral code. Sure, this is, we can learn how to live morally here. But this is just not, it's not a new rules and regulation. You belong to each other. You live in mutuality. You are committed to each other. Is that simple? Not at all. But this is the life that we're called to. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Because the logic of mammon, as we looked at in Lent, runs completely counter to the logic of the kingdom. We're moving from me, me, me into mutuality. It could not be more distinct from one another. It's a completely different frame for being human. Again, these texts are not a strategy for how to succeed in life or how to win at relationships. Instead, this is a new paradigm 
We belong to each other, so we can rejoice with those who rejoice. We can mourn with those who are mourning. Notice how in mutuality, care for justice is not something that has to be feigned or manufactured. Care for the outsider and the other is essential and it's natural. Belonging to one another, you can't look at someone who doesn't have anything or someone who's hurting in pain and turn away from them without caring. Jesus is inviting us into this way of living together in mutuality today. Instead of rivalry between brothers as we see the work that Christ did on the cross, there's reconciliation. So instead of rivalry between brothers, we actually are called to hospitality towards strangers. Towards the end of our passage in Hebrews, it says, remember your leaders. This is also something we've heard a ton about, right? And it's delicate. It's something we have to be mindful of. I just want to suggest to you that when we see a word like leaders in the Bible, we need to do a lot of work as a people to like scrub out like our definition of what leadership is. Like this is not meant to be like the John Maxwell Academy of Leadership leaders. That's not what we're talking about here. This is just a couple of chapters after Hebrews 11, which is like the faith hall of fame is like the header in some, some Bibles. And it basically just recounts like historically a lot of people who lived faithfully for God. They're those who have gone before us in the faith. Those are the leaders in Christianity, the people that we've seen. And it says, consider the result of their lives. What, what is the result of their lives? Again, it's not that they lived their best lives today, but that through everything that they experienced, good and bad, they remained committed to God. They continued to say yes to God's invitation to live in kingdom life. Our lives are being reoriented away from accolades and accomplishments today, away from security maybe even, towards the coming kingdom. Church, the kingdom of God is not musical chairs. Your place is not up for grabs. You don't have to stay vigilant or else somebody's going to slide it away when you're not looking. You are free to offer your seat. Knowing that the kingdom, the table of God, is always expanding. Jesus is not teaching us how to live our best lives now or how to sacrifice our best lives now so that we can have our best lives in the kingdom. This is not a, sorry, <laughs> this is not a Dave Ramsey, live like no one else now so you can live like no one else in the future situation. That's that sacrifice lens, right? I'm going to give this up now because I know what I'm going to get down the road. I'm not saying don't have a good budget, but I do kind of have an ax to grind there. We could talk about that later. <laughs> I apologize. We're getting off track. <laughs> you don't have to calculate how to be last now so that you can be first in the future. In Christ, we are one flesh. In Christ is the first and the last. Jesus is the beginning and the end. You see the difference there? We don't have to figure out how to go to the back of the line or if anybody sees us going to the back of the line so that we can be first and we can be rewarded. No, we are entering into God life. We are entering into kingdom life. Jesus is redefining what order means, what it means to be alive. We're not ranking ourselves. We're not competing with our neighbors. We are saying yes to belonging to each other. We have to continue to learn how to grow and live into this reality, into this conviction. 
It doesn't come naturally to us. We've come by all these strategies for making our way in the world in relationships or financially. We've come by it honestly. There's formation in our families of origin. There's life experiences. There's times that we have been hurt. It's not just stories we're telling ourselves. We've suffered abuse. We've been lied to. This is not easy. But this is the good news of the kingdom. Your seat at God's table is not up for grabs. Your acceptedness is decided. You are not only welcome, but you are beloved. And this king whose table we're sitting at is, is the lowly one. Christ became lowly, not just so that he could take our place from us, but also so that he could show us what it means to truly reign. So Christ's incarnation as becoming the lowest among us shows us what true kingship looks like. Jesus is unwinding our assumptions about how to live, what greatness is and how we achieve it. He's unbending our hearts and he's orienting us to his coming kingdom. He's calling us into mutuality, inviting us into himself. In our gospel passage, Jesus is both giving and receiving hospitality. He's modeling for us this hospitality that we're called to be defined by, one of giving and receiving. It's a both and. And this is a key part of what we do when we come together every Sunday and we, we make Eucharist together. We present God with the gifts of bread and wine and then God gives us back the gifts of Christ's body and his blood and we receive those. It's giving and receiving. The boundary of the table of the Lord is ever-expanding for those who don't feel like they have a seat, but also out into our lives as we leave from this place. It's expanding outward until our life becomes Eucharist, one that is caught up in the song and dance of giving and receiving with others. The table grows and grows and grows. There's room for everyone at the table. We can respond to this good news today first by coming to the table and receiving and making Eucharist together. We can respond to this good news today by coming to the church potluck if you're available. It's right after service, just around the corner. We'll have information up on the screen. If you don't have time to get a dish or make a dish, just come. Come and receive. Come as you are. Bring all of who you are with you. Another way we can respond to this is just to notice as we go from here this week, the moments, the relationships or situations where we find ourselves calculating, okay, how do I put my best foot forward here? Like me this past week when I was going to be with people in my family. Okay, I'm feeling a little, a little anxiety or a little bit of hope that this will go well. What does that mean about what I desire here? What is God doing in that desire? Notice that. You don't have to keep it down below the surface. Name it to yourself. Present it to Jesus. Bring it to a friend to process. We can say yes to our acceptedness and mutuality where we have grace to say yes today. This sermon is not meant as a should. If you feel social anxiety, if you don't know how to talk to people, you, you're worried that the words just aren't going to come out right out of your mouth, there's no shame in that. You have grace today just to tend to what God is doing in your heart. You don't have to figure out how to relate to everyone all at once, but God is at work in your relationships and in your desire for relationships. One final way that we can say yes to this is by caring about the world around us. As a church, we're, we're continuing to learn about being committed to justice, caring about justice. 
part of that learning for me is realizing the ways that I just avoid looking at things that really don't impact me directly because it's uncomfortable. Like, that's not what I want to be reading at 3 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon. I'd much rather be just watching a soccer match or planning my fantasy football season. There's no shame in any of those things, but I just, like, notice we have all of these ways of insulating ourselves from caring, just from giving a crap about things. It's okay. You can say yes to caring, and you are not going to run out of bandwidth to care. God is drawing us into his heart, into God life. Friends, your acceptedness in the kingdom, your acceptedness in God's body, in the body of Christ, is not up for grabs. It's not in question. You are accepted. You don't have to defend your place. You don't have to worry about if you made the team or if you give your seat away that then there won't be room for you. There is always room for you at the table. God is inviting you to say yes to him today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.